and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon community. This podcast will focus on the stories, role-playing game, and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori. This week we're going to be looking at the third chapter of Heroes of Legend. But first we have a little bit of news, so why don't you take that? <laughs> Not very much news today. This is going to be short. Um, we only have word that the costume contest will be opening today, which is uh, 328, 329. Um, it will run, both of them will run through the 14th. So, you know, if you haven't started, hurry, I guess. I better hurry. <laughs> you going for the contest? Um, I have some stuff to do for it. I have a pattern, but I haven't had time to sew. <laughs> Sew it. So I will I will go with the costume, but either one I've already made or I will make a new one. But uh, I don't have much time if I'm going to make a new one. <laughs> Always a problem. Always a problem. However, we do have a new piece of fiction, which is Heroes of Legend, Chapter 3 by Tyler Parrott. And this concerns Matsu Tsuko and Ikomo Tsunari approaching Shinjo Altansanai of the Unicorn. To negotiate for, well, a peace, an armistice, and maybe a treaty, planning to put an end to the fighting until Bayushi Shouju is dealt with and removed from the Emerald Throne. Altansane is reluctant in the face of all that has happened, and uh, there's quite a lot, honestly, and you can understand why the Unicorn aren't immediately going, yes! But an outpost from Ikomo Tsunari makes it clear that the blame falls at the feet of the man who has engineered the war in the first place, and that is Ikomo Ujiaki. That's the man who currently leads the Imperial Legions for Bayushi Shoju. Altan Sinai agrees not only to a truce, but to join her army with the Lion, Phoenix, Crane, and Scorpion against Shoju. That's a pretty short summary. It doesn't sound like a lot happens, but actually it's, it's very well written and very enjoyable, and the, a lot actually happens kind of emotionally more than just facts if you see what i mean right so so this is a very uh it's very much in the heart of akoma tsunari uh what is happening in this story so unfortunately that doesn't leave us a whole ton of lore nuggets to discuss but we'll we'll try for you our our readers but but it must be said they do reference they do reference a lot of stuff that happened Previously, when, when, when we say, you know, Altan Sane is, is reluctant in the face of what has happened, that is all gone through and mentioned. And so we will be making sure that we, we reference back to those fictions so you can go check them out if you haven't already. Oh, we'll certainly try. So first of all, this happens on Hita 17th or kind of December 17th, if you want to think of it in our time, this middle of winter. Uh, it's about two days after the previous chapter. When uh, Ikoma Tsunari tells Matsusuko about her uh, supply lines being um, cut, you know, not not provided for, and uh, is told in turn about Shoju and what happened with Ujiaki. So it's been about two days to negotiate this meeting. Yeah, we learn it was Akoto Araso, the Lion Clan champion, who ordered Ikomo. Anakazu to divorce his wife and disown his child, 
who is Ikoma Tsunari. And he was ordered to do that in order to marry Shinzo Altan Sanai. And this is very likely with Ikoma Ujiaki's guidance. Mm-hmm. So that all came from the top. Yes, and it seems likely that what happened was that in order to have a peace treaty uh, between the unicorn and lion, the unicorn agreed initially that they would, that Altonsan and I would marry one of the daimyos of the lion clan. And because there's more than one single daimyo and, you know, she could have married Matsusuko. She could have married the Kitsu family daimyo, you know, uh, or somebody single. Yeah. But the reason they did the whole divorce stuff was to get this uh, Ikoma family tradition that the woman must marry in to the Ikoma family <laughs> in order to uh, cause this rift in the first place. So, you know, it doesn't seem likely they just picked Anakazo to mess with him or anything like that. It was specifically the arrangement was to marry a daimyo or daimyo level of the lion's choice, and they arranged it such that it would be forcing Shinjo Altonsanai in. Uh, Shinjo Haruko is there. That is uh, Altonsanai's daughter. Altonsanai's other children are not. She has two other biological children and one stepchild. So Shinjo Yasumura is still on the campaign trail with a different part of the Unicorn Armies. We know that from the 2020 clan letters for Unicorn. He writes to his mother for help, but he is further away than than right here. That Shinjo Shono is not there as the heir, or at least Shono's wife is not there again, because Shona's wife, it still seemed to imply that he is still uh, mucking around in the burning sands. Yeah. Which which he has been doing for the a lot of the storyline, and that's in the novella Across the Burning Sands. Yeah, very far away. But although, presumably, if he had succeeded in his bracket tournaments, he'd be magically transported back, as at least two characters seem to have done thus far. <laughs> Or if he had succeeded, you know, or Chakotai had succeeded, they would have showing up for some in some fashion, no matter what. That would have appeared, but uh, never mind. So he's still off in the burning sands. Maybe without the teleportation, but suddenly show up. We don't know. <laughs> uh, we get a lot of the information about what happened to Ikomo Tsunari, and specifically her mother, which is what has led Tsunari to where she is. That comes from the fiction Curved Blades, which was one of the very early fictions, actually. The first one that really featured the unicorn. Yeah, and in that early fiction, uh, her mother goes to Shinjo Alter and Saranai and threatens to commit Jike to, to protest uh, suicide herself to protest the wedding because she wants to keep her husband. She is not a lion. She is born Phoenix. And she is protesting this, and it is her act that then makes Shinjo Aldrin Sarnai um, decide that she is not going to go through with this this marriage. It's funny in this story that it is uh, Sunari's emotional appeal based on the relationship to her father that 
causes this truce to happen. Yeah. Because that's what caused the war in the first place was her mother's emotional appeal to Altrin Sarnay caused the war to happen in the first place. So we learned that, at least amongst the unicorn, because the unicorn might have slightly different procedures and slightly different traditions, because this is all taking place in uh, Altan Sarnay's yurt. In, so certainly in the unicorn tradition, bodyguards are allowed to keep carrying their blades in a meeting, even when the unicorn clan champion is like right there. Mm-hmm. But even though Matsutsuko gave up her weapon, Ikoma Tsunari did not have to because she is the bodyguard. And at the very least, in unicorn tradition, she can keep her blade because she is a bodyguard. And I have read that in other clan traditions, too. I don't think that that's specific to unicorn. We know for sure it's for for unicorn, but I've read that for other other clans as well. So, mm. uh, Elton Sarnay uses a phrase talking about Tutori that he says... Now he goes where the waves will him, and that means he is he is Ronan now. He's a wave man, so it's a it's a nice poetic turn of phrase for being a Ronan. Yeah, he's he's off doing his thing until later, I assume. <laughs> we also meet Dayu, who is Shinjo Altansane's consort and the father of her children. This is an unconventional marriage, at least as far as the rest of Rokugan is concerned, but in Apparently, no one in the unicorn thinks this is strange in any way, but it's not a not a standard one in rock again. Right, Dayu is not married to Altrin Sarnai. He is the Aichi Daimyo, and um, but they they fully believe themselves to be a family. I I I do wonder if it's one of those things that. It's it's one of those yeah because he's a daimyo and she's the the champion and there are all sorts of like legal ramifications if they actually got married, mm-hmm. but the unicorn are okay with just saying we well, are yeah, okay don't actually get married, and everything will be fine. That'll, that'll be an interesting thing to unpick, but uh, certainly it, the, uni- the unicorn don't care they're they're fine with it. Mm-hmm. It mentions that Utaku Kamoko is running rampant. This is. Uh, they refer to the depredations of Utaku Kimoko. And this is specifically referring to the story Bloody Harvest, where Utaku uh, Kimoko is leading unicorn troops against the lion. And this is kind of interesting to me. Utaku um, Kimoko in Old 5R was the uh, unicorn clan Thunder. Right. A very, a very key character. She was known for being quite vicious in her vengeance against those who who wronged her. And that much is coming on. But she also was very heroic and not painted as a, as a particular butcher. Yeah. It seems like right now the depiction of Komoko is, is very negative. And we saw that in Bloody Harvest. She does... Uh, kill a child, which is atrocious, of course. In her mind, she is sparing the child the fate that she had suffered. But that doesn't make it good. So right now, it looks like in the society, at least to the unicorn, she is uh, being, at least to the lion, she is being uh, very negative, you know, out of the norm. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
you do wonder because obviously the lion are going to see what she did as very very bad and there's going to be a tendency because the enemy has done a bad thing and that's atrocious but of course they're going to downplay what they do and play up what the enemy does and the unicorn are going to do the do the exact verse this is the depredations of utaku kamoko and i don't know if there's more detail there because yeah so so unreliable narrator kind of thing going on here that is one of the problems with looking at these fictions um overall in that one of the things we don't and this this is true for studying history as as well um it is very hard to weigh the actions of one group versus another compared to modern standards because they're all being you know when you're looking at history because everybody's showing a lot of disregard for human life. So you can have somebody who is considered saintly, who's doing terrible things. He's just doing much, much less terrible things than what his peers are doing, for example. Yeah. Sometimes he's doing the terrible things to those bad people, and that makes it okay. As opposed to those people who did the terrible things to nice people, the people we like. Right. And, 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 it, it, you've got that, but you've also got this um, comparative, you know, aspect. Everybody is going to paint their side as good and the other side as bad. Yep, and that's that's definitely natural. Yeah, who writes the history? And then you're going to say, then you're also going to have this this sense of this was bad that this person did, mm. but it was less bad than all the other people at the time or vice versa here's this everybody's being horrible but this person here is being way more horrible in the eyes of the time even to the eyes of their uh peers you know vlad the impaler got his reputation for being a worse monster that's not that there weren't other monsters or people we would consider monsters running around at the time it was just he was that much more horrible and in his culture, I believe he was considered a hero because he was fighting against, you know, the bad invaders. It's just that when we look at what he did, we go, oh, oh, no, oh, no, 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 you don't do that. And so it, there's, there's all sorts of stuff going on here. So it is, it is not quite clear how bad, from our perspective, Utaku Kamoko really was. We just don't have the details. Right. Or how bad she is compared to, uh, you know, what the standards of Rokugan would be. Because we know that Rokugan is not going to be, uh, you know, fitting to all of our standards. That would just, Yeah, yeah. We don't have absolutely. to play it up, but it's, you know, mm. if it was a historical place, you know, we don't know what it would be. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yes, moving on from that, uh, we also meet Doji Shizue. And she is there because she appealed to Shinjo Altansanai way back in the art of matchmaking. It's not actually all that far back, I don't think, in, in, in uh, timeline terms, but it seems a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so that was the attempt to get a, an alliance between the crane and the unicorn. And so she is now here in Altansanai's yurt. Uh, she also recognizes Ikomo Tsunari by name. She doesn't know her personally, but he, she recognizes the name. Right. In the end, uh, basically, 
Tsunari's outburst can be considered an unmasking per the fifth edition of the RPG game. Uh, it does embarrass her somewhat. It, it might give her a bit of negative honor or glory. Probably not glory in this case. Yeah, yeah. Because it made her known where her name wouldn't have otherwise been known. So, um, so maybe a little honor. I yeah, I, I'd say I'd, I'd say you ding the uh, male though, because we were we were saying that that's kind of the the dignity mm-hmm. of the samurai one. So you might ding that one or courtesy. Yeah, those might you might want to ding those ones, but as you say. But obviously, here in this case, it, it gives a big benefit. Absolutely, because it it gets everything out on the table and. Uh, makes uh, Shinjo Altern Sane in the end decide that she's going to go get Ujiaki too. Ujiaki earned it. Absolutely. He totally did. <laughs> so talking about unmasking, we, we've talked before in our episodes about honor, a little bit about unmasking and different penalties that they can have and then the positive effects. Honor and glory hits are common um also show a weakness is a um negative that can be associated with it you know you're you're showing a vulnerability uh you can cause somebody to have a lower tn against you um i tend for my npcs to miss an action uh especially if a fight is going bad <laughs> against my players yeah yeah that's certainly a good relatively easy one because if you're GMing then you've got a lot to, to keep track of so having a nice simple one like uh, right that's what the unmasking does moving on <laughs> the, le- the less you have to do in your brain at the same time right um, I don't like bend morals um, people people use that one where they can do something sneaky but and there's, a, there's a lot of different kinds of unmasking you can do and I don't know, I should have prepared a, a, a long list of different negatives, but we want to kind of focus on some of the positives here. I mean, this this is a textbook, an absolute textbook. This is a positive outcome from an unmasking. She may have, as we say, we, she may have lost a couple of points of honor, maybe glory, but this does allow her to use arguments that otherwise she would not be able to because i mean although she's ikoma she's akodo by school mm-hmm. so that's so she sees herself more as the stoic bushido driven samurai and that she shouldn't be showing emotions and she should just be doing her duty even if it pains her and that kind of thing so this this does kind of impact her but it absolutely allows her to make points that she would not otherwise be able to make, do it in a way she wouldn't ordinarily be able to do it with lots of passion and emotion mm-hmm. and put that out on the table and thus get Altan Sinai to consider something that up to that point she wasn't going to consider, which is super in genre because that's a thing that you see quite a lot in samurai drama. Someone gives this passionate, essentially unmasking type speech and someone goes, I am so impressed with your emotion and your passion that I'm going to change my mind. Yeah. 
Now, that's what it's meant to be used for, and I can appreciate that. I do have a bit of a problem with how unmasking is done in the system. Maybe we can talk about how how to fix it. The problem with this is that there is no reason that she is going to have reached composure for her strife level at this point, if you were playing this out as a scene. She has not made enough rolls to accumulate that much strife. At the beginning of the scene, half strife, and... She has basically walked along and stood silently. There's no, she hasn't taken any actions. She's not, she's not rolled any dice effectively. And thus she has got no strife results on and her therefore dice. She is half strife. But this is the perfect time for her to have an outburst or to have an unmasking. And, and that's what we do. So we can say this is. An unmasking, and it's great for it to be an unmasking, and it's a great example. But she hasn't done anything to get herself to compromised yet. Mechanically, yeah. Mechanically. So this is this is a, my problem with unmasking. It's if you are making a bunch of rolls, you are doing stuff. You know what you're doing, and you're you're acting it. And and maybe an unmasking is appropriate there possibly for for what you're doing, but your focus for finding the moment to unmask, or your your focus if you're making a bunch of roles is usually on the role you're trying to do, whatever it is you're trying to achieve that you think will work, all right? The unmasking works best when you aren't trying to do necessarily that thing. Mm. Like, it it would not be the same if Matsusuko, who is making roles here trying to negotiate because she's the talker of this scene. Uh, Sunari is just being the bodyguard, and they call that out. You know, Matsusuka, you could say, is, is making roles. And if she had an outburst here, it would be a very different effect. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because it would seem more uh, staged or whatever. Yeah, and, and her outburst is going to be angry, Almost certainly. It's it's very unlikely to be, this has hurt me. I I have been hurt by this as much as you. I lost my father because of this. Yeah. So having said that, if you actually read through it, there's all these things that get brought up which are going which are specifically going to, to hit her backstory, right? Mm-hmm. And you can start talking about narrative strife where you know, and, and there are mechanisms for this. You know, you, the GM can start saying, um, "Have a void point and three strife if you want to take on this complication." Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe stuff like that. Right, but then that basically requires the GM to personally himself keep tab of your character's internal emotional state in regards to the situation. In which case, it's the GM puppeting your character does that make sense well or at least or at least poking your character yeah but poking you know saying you're going to feel this in response to the situation where not you choosing to feel this well i mean you do get a choice i mean it is it is would you like a void point and three strife so but it does require yet another task on the gm so I've got to monitor as GM this negotiation happening between the lead character of the scene, Matsusuko, 
and my NPC, Shinjo Alter Sarnik. Just I'm just saying, like, if this is done. And I've got to also keep track of this other element going on in the scene and, and uh, you know, and hand out narrative strife. I can propose what's not in the rules very much or certainly not well stated is that you as a player can start begging for it. Yeah, yeah. We're- not not even for void points, but just be free as a player to say, I'm taking strife now. Yes, yes. When When the discussion starts hitting her mother and the marriage and all that that's the pl- the pl- that's when the player can start saying that impacts me that hits my backstory i think that is going to cause me narrative strife mm-hmm. and i actually think that having to stand here listening to all of this this whole situation that's strife central you know i i think that yeah exactly i think this is you could you could you could skin this as the player asking for narrative strife based on what's happening, and that would make a lot of sense. And that's what I wanted to come out of this with, is is to say, if you want to have an outburst with the positive effects, which is very legit and total good thing to have, yeah, be eager to take on narrative strife, request it, give me strife for this, this is, this is emotional, give me strife for this, so that you can unmask. In order to get your players there, then you as a GM, you have to make sure that unmaskings can have an, a positive effect, do do have a positive effect, so that they are willing to take on narrative strife to when the situation calls for it. So anyway, that's my takeaway. <laughs> Ask for strife. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I have literally just thought of a couple of things. Because... Here's the thing that I've been thinking about. In real life or fiction, an emotional outburst can be purely negative, right? You can, Im- you can imagine situations where speaking your mind or just, just having a bit of a meltdown is just bad and it just it, it screws your character up and it's just terrible. But there are also ones where, like here, that it is actually really helpful and enables you to say things you wouldn't say ordinarily and people will listen to things you have to say when they wouldn't listen ordinarily. Or it could, in a fight, it could drive you to greater acts of, you know, of valor mm-hmm. when you wouldn't ordinarily, that kind of thing. So it could be positive, it could be negative, right? Ordinarily, in a role-playing game, if there's a thing you can do that can sometimes be good and sometimes be bad, you're rolling for it, Yeah. I do find myself wondering if that's something that somehow could be incorporated into this. I'm I literally just as we're discussing this. I kind of wonder, right? If the player is really close and they said, "I'm gonna, oh, yeah, I'm, oh, they're, they're talking about they're talking about the marriage, which was my mother, and that's why my dad had to disown my mother and me, which has been a big thing." So I'm taking narrative strife. It's like, oh, I'm really close to I'm really close to an unmasking, but not quite there. So at this point, the, character, the, the player says, right, I am going to roll some kind of persuasion roll. I, I can't remember which – think about which stat it would be. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. I'm going I'm to – and what I'm going to do is I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to fish for strife. And if I get enough strife, that's going to unmask and this will be an unmasking as well as a, a persuasion roll. I don't know if that would actually work. It's another thought. 
yeah, I haven't played the system enough really to to, to say, but maybe that's another way. You know, I'm I'm explicitly going to try and do this thing, um, get strife, and then bam. There's this, there's one other there's one other question, and I guess this is a problem with the system, or maybe a problem with me, and a problem approaching it is if I am standing there, I'm as a player, I'm your Jimbo to my daimyo, and I'm you know standing on the sidelines, and I as a player, regardless of what strife I have, want to hop in there and say, but this is happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, and just just say it. What's stopping me? Why do I need to do reach a mechanical state in order to say this emotional thing? That's um, I I don't know. I, I I do have hard time with the social aspects. I guess. I mean, I appreciate that there is game there. I just right. But what's stopping me as the player from saying my character breaks the social obligation because I don't care, or or whatever reason. That that that's the take take a ding to to courtesy and or or you know mayor or whatever. That, that's that's the negative. So you can do this, but it's going to hit your hit your social stats. And and also, some characters, some NPCs are going to take that worse than others. If you speak out of turn, a higher ranking character is not going to like that mm-hmm. most of the time. Some 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 be okay with it, but. A lot of the time, he's like, no, I'm not listening to you. You're speaking out of turn. How dare? <laughs> That's one possibility. Yeah. I mean, and, and the outburst, the the unmasking lets you get around that, mm-hmm. and which is one of the reasons why you, you kind of may want to fish for it. But yeah, I think, I think we need to have some thinking about how a player can deliberately fish for the drama and thus the strife and thus deliberately go for a useful unmasking well it sounds good it's things for you to think about at your table um good luck in all your games whether you are a player or a game master but i think that's it for us today i think so i think though we had a good discussion there that's good (laughs) i'd like to give a shout out to our sister podcasts and our patrons and all that so we have the other core games network podcasts, including the L5R LCG podcast, are live from Tokyo podcast called Tokyo of the Five Rings, and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortunes and Strife. And of course, we can't forget our friends at D20 Radio, where there is a podcast for all your role-playing wants and desires. Yes. Um, just as a note, Fortune and Strife is on hiatus, uh, as is... Uh, as you probably already know, uh, Live from Tokyo has been on hiatus for a long time. We we aren't quite sure about what the future of that one is going to be. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, where you can see and store longer-term information, summaries of our podcast, RPGs, tools, and more. For our Patreons, we have special bonus content. For example, we have a challenge-focused strife called Under the Cherry Blossoms that you can use to incorporate a little something extra into our game. It also has early access to our AP podcasts and other things as we think of them. You can find us online at our website, courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And on Patreon, we are patreon.com slash courtgames. However, that's it for us this week. 
This is Kikita Kaori, and may the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.